Welcome to the second episode of the Minor Sports Talk. I am Cameron Williams, a junior communications major here at the university. I'm going to kick it to my co-host to let him introduce himself. Hi, everyone. I'm Miles Reuter, and I am a senior here at UNC Charlotte. I am also a communications major, just like Cameron is. All right, so first topic today, we're going to recap the Charlotte versus Duke game over the weekend on Halloween. And uh, Miles, I want to get your opening impressions on that game and just, you know, see what your thoughts are about it. My initial thoughts were a little, I'll, I'll be honest, it's a, it was a little disappointed. I know it's Duke and it's an ACC opponent. They're in a big conference, but I expected us to play a little better. I didn't expect us to go down 17 nothing as quickly as we did. And I was watching Charlotte alongside Ohio State. So every time I look back at our game, they put another score on the board. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is not what I expected. Yeah, I mean, one thing I noticed right off the bat was Charlotte's run defense was very lackluster. They contained Chase Bryce to only 106 yards passing, which was a big key thing to stop Duke. But when you give up two 100-yard rushers and two touchdowns for each of those guys, success is going to be hard to find. Yeah, and and just to like kind of bounce off of that, I mean, from the first possession, they had a 65-yard rushing touchdown. And then I looked at their stats. They had three guys with over 60-yard carries. Like one guy had 65 yards, another one had 70, and another one had 65 as well or something like that. So they this has been a struggle for Charlotte the entire season. Like I kind of talked about it in one of my takeaway articles. They allowed over 300 yards rushing to App State earlier in the year. They allowed over 200 to FAU earlier in the year. And here we are again over 200 yards rushing. And here's something else. They allowed six rushing touchdowns. Yeah, Chase Bryce was the only one to throw a passing touchdown, and he only had one. So when you're giving up that many rushing touchdowns, I mean, it's going to be hard to win, and especially giving up 200-yard rushers. It seems to me that they focused too much on the pass game in practice this week and forgot about stopping the run. But, I mean, all in all, like you said, Duke's an ACC opponent. Power five school. I mean, they really they really proved that this week. And Charlotte can learn a lot from that. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is definitely a learning experience. And that's what comes with playing big opponents like Duke and kind of like Clemson from last year. Obviously, nobody expected us to win that game and we didn't. And going off your point about defending Chase Bryce, he came from Clemson. So obviously he's a threat. He like he got recruited there. He played, I mean, he was a backup to Trevor Lawrence. He's got the skill set to pass and to be a threat to the defense so it's really important to stop him but I kind of want to go look at the offense for Charlotte real quick um just a slow start that they had so if we look at the first possession they they punted right away second possession they got uh three and or they didn't go three and out but they punted away and then the punt got blocked next possession three and out and by that point you know how yeah and two punt blocks you know one setting up Duke what within a 10 yard line i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. exactly and that's another thing just like the special teams two block punts um then uh what was what was next a missed field goal in the first in the first half and another thing that i kind of want to talk about is just like better play calling because i feel like sometimes our play calling is a little questionable like i feel like we get in too many third and long situations and we're doing like like rpos and we're not like like nobody expects us and nobody's going to fall for the run at that at that point. And so they play back. And if we do end up running, they're just going to swarm and tackle us and we're going to punt. Yeah, I know in one possession um, in particular, uh, Reynolds dropped back and both of our wide receivers ran out routes. And 
I'm not sure if it was Harbison or McAllister, but they did a slight wheel route and wide open, not a defender, DB, anybody on them. And Reynolds didn't even look his way. And I know you're told to, you know, check your one, your two option. But, I mean, he missed a wide open touchdown there. That could have at least closed the gap a little bit. And, I mean, I'm not saying what Reynolds did throughout the course of the game was bad per se, but I think he needs to scan the field a little bit quicker and try to get the ball out a little quicker. I got a question for you. Okay, go ahead. Did you see the two-point conversion that we tried? Yeah, and that Duke ran all the way back? Yep. Yeah. That, that's Special teams was a killer. I mean, I know two-point conversions isn't really your special teams per se, but it – it was definitely, I mean, I said in my takeaways article that it was an Achilles heel. I mean, it it killed us. My, I really question, like, that two-point conversion where we tried throwing it back to the offensive lineman. Like, n- no one was fooled on that. Well, I don't know if he was the intended receiver. I, I mean, I think it was kind of like a last resort. Reynolds was kind of like, oh, crap, you know, here comes the middle linebacker right up the A-gap, and he kind of just tried to dump it off. But, yeah, I mean, it was a backwards pass. Duke ran it all the way back. Another thing I was looking at when looking at like the stat sheet after the game is just how like the defense wasn't playing well the entire game. And there's one way to show it. And that's because Duke only had seven third down attempts. And that kind of tells me as a fan that the defense wasn't doing enough on first and second down to put themselves in a situation to get off the field, which allowed Duke to continue just to march down the field and score quickly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, another thing is, Duke scored so quickly as a result of Charlotte's poor special teams. I mean, when you get two punts blocked, when one punt only goes for like 28 yards, I mean, it was, I I don't want to say embarrassing, but special teams was really the key to this game. I was looking at the time of possession too. Charlotte had, and usually time of possession is an indicator of how well you're doing, because if you have the ball for a lot, your defense is off the field and and if you're ha- and you have the ball, then you're probably marching down the field and scoring and winning. Charlotte had the ball for 42 minutes and put up 19 points. Duke had it for less than 18 minutes and they put up 53. And that kind of goes off your point with special teams. It can be, it can help you a lot by getting a good punt and putting the other team in a bad position, or it can cost you. Well, that and like we hit on earlier, I mean, 70 yard, 65 yard, and the 60 yard uh, rush. I mean, that's over half the field. And you're going to be set up in a good position right after that. So I got another question for you. All right. Do you think that Charlotte was a little nervous heading into this game? Because looking at the App State game earlier in the year, they looked kind of nervous. They were uneasy. Chris Reynolds didn't have that great of a game. And he's kind of the commander of the of the offense. And looking at this game against Duke down 17 early, do you think they were kind of nervous heading into this game? I mean, who wouldn't be? I mean, yeah, it's Duke. They're kind of a bottom feeder in the ACC, but like I said, it's the ACC. They're a Power Five conference for a reason. I mean, all the I mean, all the talents in the Power Fives. Um, so I mean, yeah, Charlotte could have a little nerves going into a game like that. But I mean, that's one thing. If you're a Division One athlete, I mean, you kind of have to put the nerves aside and get you know get going out of the gate fast. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, actually, because when you're playing against a, a big tier opponent, you know, you have to get off to a good start and set them set the tempo, because if you don't and you let Duke do it, they're just going to run all over you. And I kind of have like an example for that to an extent. So if you watched Boston College against Clemson this weekend, Boston College isn't exactly one of the best teams in the ACC, but they're 
you know, they're still in ACC. They got out up 28 to 10, you know, and they kind of set the tempo in the first half. Yeah, they didn't win, but it's just about like setting the tempo early and getting in that mindset, you know? Yeah, but one thing we always have to, I mean, we have to remember is with Trevor Lawrence having tested positive for COVID, you know, the Clemson didn't have a good morale going into that game. I mean, they're starting a good quarterback, a five-star quarterback, number one pocket passing quarterback um, that they recruited like this past year. But at the same time, when you don't have the probable number one draft pick at the helm, you're going into a game with a kind of a low self-esteem, if you will. And so that's kind of a fluke, I would say. But we'll see with Clemson this upcoming week. They play Notre Dame, and Trevor Lawrence has already been ruled out for this week as well. Yeah. I, uh, just looking back at the, the Duke game, because there was something I kind of noticed in how they like to play and win games. So if you looked at uh, NC State when they played last week, uh, they lost 31-20. Chase Bryce didn't have exactly the best game, less than 200 yards passing, three interceptions. And when they beat Syracuse the previous week, um, two touchdowns, 270 passing yards, and the run game was going. And, that, and that's kind of exactly how uh, they beat us. You know, the two running backs, Mateo Durant and Deion Jackson, both had over 100 yards rushing and a couple touchdowns. And that's kind of like the way I think Duke likes to run, like run their run their organization or run their team is, you know, run the ball well, that way kind of to limit how many mistakes you can do through the air with Chase Bryce because he hasn't had the best year. You know? Yeah, and I mean, that's what they did um, on Halloween. I mean, Chase Bryce only attempted 14 passes, completing eight of them, only 106 yards. But when you don't have to throw the ball, when you've got two guys rushing for over 100 yards, I mean, you're obviously going to limit your through-the-air mistake. So heading into our next segment, we're going to hit on um, Charlotte men and women's uh, cross-country teams as they won, as the men's team won the conference championship and the women finished second. Yeah, so one thing to kind of, I took away from that actually, so men's finished first. My initial thoughts on the performance was, you know, really impressive outing from the runners. They only had seven runners go into the performance and they each finished within the top 16. So top 16 places, which is very impressive for the team due to the fact that there's, there are 72 participants. And one thing that was really cool about this one is this is the first time that the Charlotte men's has won the Conference USA uh, tournament since 2002. So it was really nice to see Charlotte back on top. Yeah, and uh, um, continue that. I mean, 2002, that's going back to when um, a lot of us were young, young kids. I mean, to see Charlotte back on top in a sport like cross country is very promising, and uh, hopefully they'll have a bright future ahead of them. Yeah, another thing I wanted to add on to that is, you know, uh, when I back when I talked to Paul Arredondo uh, back uh, two weeks ago, he was talking about how he really wanted to um, – gear up for nationals back in March. Cause that got, that's, that was originally planned in November. It got pushed back to March. And he said that he really wanted, or he really needed to uh, play well in the conference USA tournament and also other meets over at Louisville and um, over at Louisville. And so this is just something that he, you know, is doing and probably has a good chance of getting to uh, the nationals because he finished in second at the, at the conference USA. So moving on, we uh, the Conference USA has released their men's and women's basketball schedule this uh, past week. And uh, Miles, what are your initial thoughts on how the men's and women's are scheduled? As it's a pretty big shakeup from 
uh, years past. Yeah, it is pretty different. Um, so the schedule is laid out. The in-conference is going to start on December 31st. The men's are going to start off at home against Western Kentucky, while the women's are going to start off on the road at uh, Western Kentucky. So same opponents, but the difference this year is that you're going to play two games against the same opponents on a Thursday and a Saturday of the same weekend. So when you go, when you come home, there's going to be one team that comes to play you and you're going to play them twice. And then you're going to go on the road and play a different opponent. And some of my initial thoughts is just, you know, it's very different. We've never, I mean, but this is a different time. We've never seen COVID like this or anything affect a schedule like this before. So it's just going to be really challenging, I think, for the players and the coaches to get used to this for playing the same opponent twice back to back. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same thing I was thinking, you know, playing the same opponent twice in a row. I mean, it kind of it's kind of beneficial because you can take what you learned in the first game and immediately go apply it in what two to three days. So I guess in that sense, it's pretty cool. But hitting on uh, what you said about COVID, you know, I went to the Duke football game against Charlotte this past Saturday and, you know, it was it was eerie looking down at the field and seeing the empty stands. Um coming from someone who's followed sports their whole life with the sporting events um, growing up, it's, it's almost kind of spooky, you know, no pun intended with it being on Halloween, but it's uh it's very odd because, you know, there's no fans to cheer you on. There's no, you know, to get you pumped up. And that's, you know, a big asset to a home team, especially with uh sporting events and sports like football, basketball, et cetera. That's actually a good point that I didn't even really think about cause in basketball. I mean, there's been a lot of moments in Charlotte's history where they've been down double digits, but because they're playing at home and they're getting that momentum from the fans and they're cheering you on, they came back and started winning games or getting in, getting back into the games. So that's something I didn't, that's pretty interesting and a good thing to bring up. I think, I remember you said, you think going to it, like uh, taking what you applied from the first game and just moving it to the second game. I think that's also going to bring some challenges because while you're also uh, applying like different, you're applying like what you learned from the first game to the second game. So is the opponents and they're learning what to do differently in the second game and try to counter your offense and defense. It's definitely a big, I would say boost in confidence to the away opponent as well, because there's not going to be that hostile environment. Um, You know, when you go on the road, you've got thousands of fans that, you know, want you to lose. And so now with that aspect being gone, I think you'll see a lot more games where the, away team will actually win this season. I think it also kind of reminds me of the NBA bubble because, you know, when all the NBA teams went into the bubble, there's nobody in the stands. It's just a couple of press members and no fans. Sometimes there's family there, but only do a limited capacity. And that's kind of how it's going to be for Charlotte. I don't know if they've announced what the, um, what the fan situation is going to be like, but I know it's going to be different. It's not going to be a packed house. Yeah, I mean, I know with football, I think it's a uh, certain percentage capacity, but I know um, at Duke this past weekend, Duke isn't allowing any fans in this uh, stadium. So it's just um, essential staff and the football players and uh, the press. So, yeah, it was it was very different. One thing I kind of expect from the uh, from the games, like playing back to back, as I'm expecting a lot of like one and one weekends, you know, you probably either win the first game and then you lose the second one or you lose the first one, counter what you did in the first one and then win the second game. That's just something because, you know, it's never easy to go two and oh. I've always been told it's never easy to go two or three and oh against a team in the same season. 
much less going two or three and oh against them in the same weekend. Yep, for sure. And I mean, we wish uh, uh, the women's coach, Consuegra, uh, the best of luck with her season, as well as uh, Coach Sanchez and the men's basketball team. Um, we wish them the best of luck this season and hope they do well because I know a big uh, point for them was getting back to the Conference USA Championship because when COVID struck, that was right about the time that we were supposed to have our Conference USA Championship and it was uh, canceled and a lot of the players were disappointed. But hopefully this year we can uh, it'll go off without a hitch and we'll see a Conference USA Championship. That's got to that's got to spark a fire in the players and and the coaches. I got to believe you know how the season ended last year, especially for women's. They were 21-9. and nine. They had a really good shot of winning the Conference USA tournament. And to have it canceled, like, right away, they had no way to, you know, they had no way of knowing what would eventually happen or lead to what we are in now. But I feel like that sparks a fire to try and get back to the Conference USA championship. Yeah, I know I covered several of the women's games last year. And, um, you know, they were very, very good all season long and were actually favored going into the Conference USA Championship to win the whole thing. And so when something's taken away from you, like an opportunity to win a conference championship like that, it's got to – it can either do one of two things. It can get you down or fire you up. And I think uh, both coaches, men's and women's, at the helm will really fire their uh, guys up and get them ready for the season. Yeah, this year's going to be very different than any normal year. I mean, and the thing that I know Brad talked about last week is just the protocols. And there's only 15 players – on a basketball team. And so they got to be really careful and really smart about what they do because if one player gets COVID, your your whole team might get it and then a couple games might get canceled. Yeah, and then come postponements and cancellations. And I mean, we saw it with the men's team, you know, a couple players, uh, seven, I believe, uh, contracted COVID. It was a cluster within the men's team and uh, they didn't get to start practice when they were supposed to. Um, and that's, you know, you put them behind, if you will. Yeah. I mean, this year is just going to be challenging. A lot of new players, a lot of players lost. It's not going to be the same, especially not with losing players and also the situation we're in with no fans and difficult environment. Gotcha. Well, moving on to our last segment, um, Charlotte will take on Middle Tennessee um, away next week, Saturday, November 7th. Um, what are your initial keys to the game, you think, Miles? Well, the first thing that they have to do is they have to stop Asher O'Hara. He's the quarterback or everything for their team. 11 touchdowns this season. He's also got six touchdowns um, on the ground. He is their leading rusher for Middle Tennessee and also the quarterback at the position. But they also need to force turnovers for their team. That's one thing that this Charlotte team this year is kind of struggling with is forcing turnovers and causing disruption um, against opponents. Because I looked at last year. With Alex Highsmith, they had a total of 36 sacks, and he had 14. So far this season through five games, they only have four sacks. So they, this Charlotte defense really struggles at getting to the quarterback and causing pressure, and that's something that they definitely need to improve on this game in order to stop someone like Asher. Well, and that's something, too. I mean, you mentioned Highsmith, and I want to give a quick shout-out to him on uh, getting his first career uh, interception with the Pittsburgh Steelers today. And when you lose an NFL talent like that, I mean, obviously you're going to struggle, you know, replacing someone like that. But um, like you said, it's something that Charlotte really needs to do is force pressure, uh, get turnovers. But um, we also need to limit um, O'Hara's uh, scoring through the air. Um, 11 touchdowns on the season, 1,500 yards. 
um, completing over 50% of his passes. Yeah, they also need to stop. Uh, the cornerbacks need to do a really good job of stopping Jaron Pierce. Uh, uh, O'Hara's number one target got 46 receptions, 451 yards, and two touchdowns. And that's something that's going to be kind of difficult for Charlotte is being good at a defensive pressure against the wide receivers because O'Hara likes to spread the ball around. He's got six touchdowns to different receivers. So it's going to be really important to key in on O'Hara and make sure to limit the amount of people that he passes to. Yeah, uh, for sure. So um, bold predictions, um, any prediction for this game, final score, um, who, who takes it home? Well, I think one another key to the game is uh, to dominate in the run game. Middle Tennessee has really struggled this year to uh, stop rushing attacks, and that's something that Charlotte's going to have to really pick up on with Harbison and McAllister. They're like a, a, a two-headed horse. They're, they're the ones that lead the rush. They're going to have to get going, and I think they will. Also need to limit the turnovers and mistakes from Chris Reynolds. He did that during the two-game win streak, and I think he'll pick that up again here uh, on the road against Middle Tennessee. Uh, I got the 49ers winning 37-30. Gotcha. And to ping off uh, what you said, uh, I think one thing, and I mean, I'm no coach for sure, but I mean, I think Healy needs to, when it comes to play calling, um, I, I noticed in the Duke game, when the safeties would hone in on your two wideouts, um, you know, get the ball out quicker. Um, if you have to, check it down. But whenever you're running these short in and out routes, slants over the middle, you know, a team will hone in on that and they'll bring pressure up. So when they do that, that's when you can bust a long uh, ball down the middle and try to, you know, catch the defense off guard, if you will. Yeah, one thing I kind of want to uh, add on to that is, you know, obviously Sharda is led by Victor Tucker and Cameron Dollar, and there are two you know, leading wide receivers but another person that I really want to see more of this year is Michaelius Elder. You know, he had like six receptions for 85 yards against Duke. And he's he's not really a big guy. He's 5'9", but he's really quick and really small and really agile. So I think that he can be a really big asset, maybe in the backfield, kind of like a Curtis Samuel-esque player. You know, he's good at running routes and he can also be a threat in the backfield. Yeah, I noticed they had him in the slot a lot and he would run uh, like zig routes or uh, quick in routes and, you know, Reynolds found him a couple times, like you said, but I think they could use stand to use him a lot more, like uh, you also mentioned. Um, I think my prediction, I've got Charlotte by 10, something like a 35-25 or maybe even 34-24. Yeah, I got a kind of high scoring because I think both defenses, this is the CUSA, so both defenses, defenses aren't the best. The offense is probably going to have to dominate, and that's what I think is going to happen for both teams. Gotcha, for sure. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, be like Bradley last week and uh, make a bold prediction that Charlotte will win by a bunch because uh, it kind of backfired on him last week. But, 14. Yeah, 14 points to uh, an ACC opponent. So Charlotte defensive back Ben DeLuca this past weekend tied the all-time tackles record for Charlotte 49ers, and this week against Middle Tennessee, he will look to break that record and go down in the Charlotte Annals forever. That's something we as Charlotte 49er students and fans can look forward to watching this upcoming week. And uh, it's been a pleasure this week on the Niner Sports Talk um, from me and Miles and uh, Bradley and Bryson as they'll be on back next week. Thank you.